And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, June 3rd. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast is presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Michael Beller here with you as usual. Derek Van Riper on vacation this week. We're going to do our usual Thursday beat writer check-in. You can see who our first guest is on this episode. It is Fabian Ardaya, formerly of the Los Angeles Angels, now of the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, I just thought of it. I guess we could have thrown some Angels questions at you, but this is all Dodgers all the time. Thanks for joining us today, Fabian. Of course. Thanks for having me. I know... There's still a lot of interesting stuff happening over the Angels. I'm looking forward to see whoever fills that beat. Yeah, definitely. Uh, would love to see Mike Trout get in the playoffs one of these days. But that's for that beat writer to worry about a couple of weeks from now. You and me, we're going to talk some Dodgers here. Cody Bellinger back off the IL on Saturday. Took him a couple of games to get going, but then we saw him uh, bust out on Wednesday in that 11-run first inning for the Dodgers against the Cardinals. Hit a grand slam in that inning. Does he look like the same old Cody Bellinger to you over these, what, four or five games that he's been active again? Defensively, absolutely. Like, he moves, he's moving extremely well, for, especially for someone who had a hairline fracture in his leg. And that was the reason why he missed so much time. I think with the plate, I think it's going to have to be some patience uh, just because you have to think about it. He didn't have a full spring training because he had the shoulder surgery in the offseason. And then he sort of came in and four games into the season had a leg fracture. Like, he's still working his way back and working through some stuff. I know he was going through a little bit of a stance alteration during the spring as well. But he said he's feeling good at the plate. I think mechanically they're working through some stuff. But like you've seen, like even when he hasn't been at full strength uh, with the bat, it's still an above average bat. And you pair that with really good defense, and he's an extremely valuable player for the Dodgers. Yeah, very happy to see him back on the field. It's a team that didn't necessarily need a superstar like Cody Bellinger back. They've been doing pretty well, but uh, Bellinger back, good for him. Good for the Dodgers, certainly good for his fantasy managers. A.J. Pollock also set to make a return from the IL this weekend. The Dodgers have really settled into a somewhat regular set of guys playing every single day. A.J. Pollock's going to affect that in some way, but... With who they have active right now, obviously Corey Seager's still out. Is it, does it affect anyone other than Zach McKinstry, Albert Pujols, these sort of part-time guys? Are, are, the, are the other seven all set, even with Pollock coming back? Yeah, I'd say so. I know like Chris Taylor obviously was the guy, another guy you can envision in left field, but he's playing so well that he's going to play every single day. It'll probably be more, probably more starts at second base than before, and that obviously, like you mentioned, will probably impact McKinstry. But I think what we've seen about how this Dodgers team sort of operates, especially under Dave Roberts, is like everyone's going to get their chance, whether it be pinch hit opportunities or something like that off the bench. Uh, mid-game switches are something he does all the time, line change type stuff. So that's going to impact, obviously, like McKinstry. It's going to impact the Pujols. Uh, it's going to impact a Pollock because he's probably going to be in situations where he comes into a game 
to face a tough lefty and stays in for the rest of the game. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how it impacts guys, but I think McKinster, like you mentioned, is probably the main guy who's affected. Gavin Lux, certainly not someone who's going to be affected by that. And I went back and looked this up this morning. So uh, you were announced as our uh, Dodgers beat writer May 14th. On May 15th, Gavin Lux was hitting 228, 266, 317. From May 16th through yesterday, he's hitting 262, 338, 508. So first of all, you might be some sort of good luck charm for Gavin Lux. Uh, with, since you've been covering the Dodgers, uh, what have you seen from Lux that has had him have this sort of, what, like six week into the season turnaround? Yeah, I mean, I think like, overall the month of May has been really good for him. Uh, was really, really good for him. I think it was like a 132 WRC plus uh, for May. Uh, I think really it's been, he's driving the baseball a lot more. I think... He said he's sort of always, always described himself as like a really rhythmic type hitter and it's going to take some swing, like a matter of just like swinging through it to be able to figure it out. And I think he feels like he's figured it out and I think he's hitting the ball hard. And I think we've seen that he can get into these really hot stretches and he's in the middle of one of them. I think there is a factor of him like playing a lot more shortstop, maybe freeing up his mind a little bit. I know he said that isn't really much of a factor, but I know Dave Roberts has sort of said like he just seems more comfortable within himself now in the big leagues. I know he's had some chances and a lot of exposure to the big leagues, but I feel like now getting a chance to play every single day over 162 rather than a 60-game season where it's sort of a short trial run, it's sort of like freeing him up, and I think he's worked through some of the things he had to really work, like really work through. Yeah, I have a pet theory that especially with shortstops, like all these guys, they've been the best player on every single team they've played on going back to being five years old. They've always played shortstop, every single one of them. And so I have this little theory that has no backing whatsoever, but just sort of a fun one that a guy getting moved back to shortstop can just maybe like feel like himself again, especially a young guy like Lux who hasn't had a ton of time to play other positions uh, in the majors. Getting moved back to short maybe just frees up the mind a little bit. And we'll definitely see uh, the, the back play uh, like we know it can for him in this hot stretch that he's been in. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, want to ask you about him. One more rehab start, then we should be seeing him back with the Dodgers next week. Uh, assuming that all goes to plan, no setbacks or anything in the rehab start, he's back with the team. Obviously, Dustin May done for the season. So does that essentially lock Tony Gonsolin into a rotation spot from that point forward? It seems like it. Like, it seems, as long as he stays healthy, and I asked Dave Roberts this week like, if they're going to have to like, monitor this, if this is something where like they're going to keep up the managing over the course of the season, if it's something that they're going to have to like, keep, like give him a, skip a start here and there just to keep his shoulder fresh. And he said no. It, pretty much like the way that they're going to sort of handle it is like he's a five-and-dive type guy, which is pretty much what he's been in the big leagues anyways. He's been very effective doing that, but it, it seems like they're going to slot him in. I think the his first start's going to be June 9th is what they're, they're sort of looking at in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think from there on, he's pretty much their guy because their only other options right now, because Josiah Gray is hurt down the minors, are probably be, would be like stretching out David Price or Jimmy Nelson. Mm -hmm. Those are guys who they probably don't want to do that with just yet, and that's going to be a process. Very nice landing spot for Tony Gonsolin in his first uh, start back from the IL against the Pirates yes. next week. Another starter who uh, we got to talk about here really quick, and then I'm going to let you go. Julio Urias. Uh, he's topped out at 95 pitches so far this season. It's been a pretty strong season for him to this point. He's pitched into the 90s in terms of pitches thrown a handful of times this season. Is that where we're going to see him top out? Is he really going to be someone who is 95 and that's it for him? Or is there any chance Dave Roberts lets him push up into the hundreds as the season goes on? 
I think I have a I have sort of an idea like that. I know Dave Roberts has sort of pushed his starters more than most teams have. Uh, mm-hmm. just to start the season, I know like obviously like to push Trevor Bauer to 160, 126 pitches in a May start is definitely saying something. Uh, but yeah. I think Urias, I think they've sort of have let him go to be a starter, uh, to let him like be just a regular on-turn starter and pitch like one this year. But I still feel like they're still cognizant of the fact that he has the shoulder history, like he has the history of injuries, and also like they have to think about it like where if you're looking at a postseason scenario, you still have to look at your bullpen where they're at. You want to be able to save bullets for that. I think they're going to look at. I'd imagine that they're probably creative with that fourth starter spot again in the postseason like they were last year. And I yeah. think it's sort of like, at that point, it's like, which one do you trust more to go with four or five innings between Gonsolin and Urias? We've seen Urias really thrive in that relief role of the bullpen. So I think that's something that they're sort of envisioning down the line for the season. I think their focus is more on getting him healthy through that point rather than necessarily pushing him in any individual start this year. Yeah, and the nice thing about that when we look at this from the fantasy perspective is that even though we would maybe like to see a tiny bit more volume, get a couple more strikeouts, maybe have a little bit better chance at wins if he goes a little deeper into games, he's still been doing just fine with what he has been given from Dave Roberts. So very happy to see that from the fantasy world. That's going to do it for uh, for us with Fabian Ardaya. Fabian, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, next up on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we welcome on Grant Brisby from the Dodgers to the Giants. Feels just like the way we should be doing it. Grant, thanks for joining us here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's start the bullpen here with this team. Uh, it's one of the more interesting bullpens from a fantasy perspective. We've seen something of a two-thirds, one-third share between Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers when it comes to uh, save opportunities. Uh, we saw McGee a little bit earlier in the month get a few opportunities in a row. Then Rogers convert a few opportunities in a row. Rogers has struggled his last couple of times to the mound. Is this split what we've seen to this point? Is that something we can expect to be the case for this team the remainder of the season? I think it's it's likely that the split has been a lot of wanting to back off of Rogers, but he seems to be the closer now. It's, it seems to be, you know, he's leading baseball in appearances. The Giants were mm-hmm. at one point had him on like a hundred game pace. Uh, that's obviously not sustainable. 
Uh, so I think Rodgers is the guy, and when he's not available for whatever reason, it's going to be Jake McGee. And McGee is, I think he's better than his ERA. You know, obviously you look under the hood and the strikeouts are still there. You've still got the good peripherals. He's just not someone you're going to be able to use back-to-back very mm-hmm. often, if at all. And when you're talking about a closer for a team that's winning uh, a handful of, more than a handful of games, you need someone that's able to go two days in a row. You know, maybe even three if you've got a really dicey close series uh that's just not going to be mcgee so i think rogers is the guy for now definitely buoying rogers uh, status as the closer because when you just look at them on a you know just who's got the stuff to be a closer basis you think a little bit more about mcgee and a little bit less about rogers but uh that uh, durability certainly helping rogers right now um i got a question for you. you've been very close to this team for a long time so maybe you can answer this best who convinced Buster Posey that this was 2012 and not 2021? <laughs> I know it's it's between Buster Posey and the way Steph Curry played this year. It's like the message is, is you're, you're in your 30s. Take a sabbatical for a year. Just go go to a backpack around Europe. I don't know. You know, obviously, Posey had a second set of twins, which is not quite backpacking around Europe. But it just no. seems like the rest really, really did him good. He looked like he was breaking out before the, the shutdown in 2020. It looked like the hip was really freeing him up. He was, he was really able to generate power from his lower half like we hadn't seen. And that was obvious in March. It was like, oh, okay, this is different. Uh, and then the shutdown happened. He opted out for, you know, very good reasons. It, he's just healthy and he's able to swing like he hasn't been able to swing in years. Seems like that for a lot of this team, right? We've got him having such a great year. We've got Brandon Crawford having such a great year. And it makes them, I think, arguably when you look at where we are in the calendar and the trade deadline coming and the shape of the NL West, maybe the most interesting team to watch over the next month, because let's just say that their win loss record was flipped. We'd be talking about them as obvious sellers. And with all these guys who would be attractive on the trade market, Kevin Gausman, uh, Johnny Cueto, Alex Wood, Brandon Crawford, Donovan Solano. I mean, so many guys up and down this roster into their thirties would be very attractive trade pieces, but You've got them sitting where they are, best record in Major League Baseball as you and I are sitting recording this, and if they stay with the Dodgers, with the Padres, that's just something you can't do, right? You can't make a move. So, like, what does this team do leading up to the trade deadline? Is it really June determines how they go from there? It is going to be really fascinating because, you know, a lot of contenders, you can see obvious, okay, they could use one more outfielder or they can use one more starting pitcher. With the Giants, it's all bullpen. They have, you know, once they have everyone healthy, that's a big if, actually. If you have Longori, you have Listella healthy, you have Darren Ruff healthy, you have a full complement of position players and bench players, forget it. You don't need anything more. Uh, If you're talking about the rotation, as long as Logan Webb is pitching uh, well and he's been pitching well over the last month, forget it. You've got five starters. You've got some depth underneath them. It's all going to be bullpen. It's going to be bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. And if the Giants are going to give up a top 10 prospect or someone, you know, they have a deep system, but if they're going to give up someone who it hurts to give up, it's going to be for a reliever who's around for 2022. They're not going to mess around with any uh, rentals. That's just Mm -hmm. not the way they're built. That's not the way the organization's built. They have just a ton of really interesting prospects that they, you know, they have depth, but they're going to want someone who's around and helping the bullpen next year when more of that cavalry of prospects is going to help them. You think it would take like a totally disastrous June for them to 
think about trading guys like Cueto, Alex Wood, guys like that? I think so. And and here's why. Uh, when you remember back to what the Giants had to do in 2019 and 2020, everyone expected them uh, in 2019 to, to trade Bumgarner, trade Will Smith. And Farhan Zaidi made some really good points. He says, look, holding on to these guys, am I thinking that we're World Series favorites somehow? That's not quite it. But there is value in keeping things close through September. There is organizational value. There is value in the clubhouse. There's value to the fans. There's value uh, from a revenue standpoint. Like there is value to just being close in September. There's a vibe to it that helps in, you know, maybe a, a less tangible way. So he's on record saying that about 2019, which was not a very good baseball team, this year it's going to be not all in, but they're certainly not going to trade pieces away. Uh, you know, you might get if the right deal presented itself where you you maybe trade out of a strength to to bolster a different kind of weakness on the 2021 team. But there's not going to be any sort of weirdo fire sale, even with the worst June swoon imaginable. Um, you talked about uh, maybe not getting fully healthy, all the guys together. At once, Tommy LaStella been out for quite a while. Still got Brandon Belt sitting on the IL. Uh, what can you tell us about those guys? What's the latest update on them? Uh, you know, Belt is, he's on the IL after rushing back to try and, you know, play through some minor tweaks uh, to his side. It just didn't, it just wasn't working out. So that shouldn't be a, a big, long uh, IL stint. Listella is a little bit more worrisome. They they put him on the 60-day IL to free up a 40-man roster spot. Uh, he has to be on there for, you know, at least another month. Uh, that can't be good news. You know, they, they've been a little tight-lipped when it comes to that, but... He's the one who might not be back anytime soon, whereas Belch uh, should be back closer to the end of the 10-day the IL stint. All right, one more guy who I want to ask you about is uh, Kevin Gausman. Uh, this has been a very known commodity for a while now, and he's a four-seam split guy. He's pretty much always been a four-seam split guy, but here he is having you know the best season he's ever had to date. Is there anything different about him to your eye this season? Different is, you know, he, he just has really good command with that splitter. He actually has, I've, I've noticed it and it took me like two years to notice it, but he has a change up and a split and they're very, very, very similar, but they do just little bit different things. And he's just excellent at commanding them. He's commanding them right at the bottom, bottom half, bottom edge of the zone. And it makes the fastball play up and he can still go above the letters and get the, the swings and misses on the high fastball. He's not pitching 99, 100. He's throwing 94, 95. But with the splitter and the change, it, it's working. And it's just a matter of stuff and command. And, you know, uh, Saris has been talking about that. It's just it's a good combination. It's been a fun team to watch for the first couple of months of the season. It's going to be, I think, for the next couple of months as well, mixed in with the two expected powerhouses in the division and in the NL, the Dodgers and the Padres. We have the surprising San Francisco Giants. Grant Brisby, one of our Giants beat writers here at The Athletic. Thanks for joining us today. You got it. Thanks so much for having me on. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, our uh, rotating menagerie continues here with Derek Van Riper on vacation. We go from Fabian Ardaya in Los Angeles to Grant Brisby in San Francisco. Now we're going to go all the way across the country, fly over me here in Chicago, Get to Al Melchior in Massachusetts. Al sitting in for DVR in the second half of this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Al, let's do it, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, let's let's talk about some pitchers. Let's talk about some pitchers. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Just in thinking about baseball this week, I've just had a lot of conversations about some of these crowded rotations, the pitchers who have been squeezed out of them, some pitchers coming back from injury. And I thought it would be uh, interesting to take a look at four, maybe five of them, depending on the time that we have. Let's start off in Houston, where from Valdez, back from the IL, Jose Arquiti, back from the IL, Jake Odorizzi, back from the IL. And what that has done is, for the time being, push Kristen Javier into the bullpen. Now, when you consider Javier, Luis Garcia, even Jose Urquidy, even Framber Valdez, you have a lot of guys who have not racked up a ton of innings in their major league career. You have a Houston team that is going to almost certainly be a playoff-bound team that is going to need these guys healthy and fresh in October. And so I personally don't think it would be a surprise if we saw some sort of six-man rotation where they never actually have a six-man rotation, but it sort of looks that way from this point forward. And that all leads me to this question, which is, is now a smart time to make a play for Christian Javier? You know, I I just, if I'm honest, Michael, I don't think I'm doing it in my leagues uh, just because it's such a log jam and you almost have to rely on somebody maybe getting hurt for him or maybe two pitchers getting hurt. And the thing is that that Javier, he he misses a lot of bats, and that makes him really attractive for fantasy. But it's kind of like the the old school Robbie Ray profile, where he also has the potential to give up a lot of home runs, put runners on base with walks. So I'm I'm not entirely trusting of Javier just under normal circumstances and with the mm-hmm. log jam that's in front of him. Uh, certainly, when you think about some of the other pitchers, I think we're going to be talking about uh, ahead. He would not be a priority for me. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I just th- this feels to me like a like an opportunity. Like you're, we know how hard it is, even in 2021, to acquire pitchers in most leagues. Most people, most fantasy managers, just 
don't want to give away performing pitchers, and you understand why. Even in a season like this where pitching is dominating, it is hard to find pitching, and you want to clutch that pitching. You want to keep that trustworthy pitching. Very few people want to give it up in fantasy leagues, and it just wouldn't be often where you could maybe get a guy in Javier who threw 52 and two-thirds innings this season, has a 3.08 ERA, a 1.03 whip, and 62 strikeouts. Like That's the sort of guy that fantasy managers want you to exceed their value in the trade market if they're going to give him up. With him in the bullpen, it just it feels to me like maybe you can get him at not only you know, face value, but maybe even a little bit less. Maybe take advantage of a panicking manager because they think Javier's in the bullpen for good. That's that's where I'm coming at this from. All right. Well, from that perspective, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's always a question of, you know, our own roster log jams too. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I was hesitating because it is the year of pitching so far. And the, the question is on my rosters, who who would go to make room? Sure. And there might not be a person on certain teams. But yeah, like, you know, we could answer uh, most questions this way and say, well, it really depends on what your alternatives are, who you'd have to drop, who else is out there. I guess all I can say about Christian Javier is it's not a slam dunk given his circumstances. I just don't think we've seen the last of him in the rotation this season. With managing Garcia's innings, with maybe managing Fromber and or Arquiti's innings, and just frankly with the way Odorizzi has pitched, I just don't think we've seen the last of Javier as a starting pitcher. So your point is well taken. You are going to have to take on in at least the short term and maybe longer than I'm expecting someone who is going to be, you know, a bulk reliever at best. And, you know, that might not be the sort of roster spot you want, even with someone as good as Javier, but I'm willing to make a bet that we see him in the rotation. It's really a play on that. If I have to pay a dollar for a dollar to get him, I'm probably not doing it. I'm with you on that. But if there's a bargain to be had because of where he now stands in this team's pitching mix, I think it's a smart one to go after. And another guy who fits this bill is Jesus Luzardo. And I think he might have a clearer path back to the rotation, even though we've heard, you know, that Oakland isn't planning on doing that anytime soon. And even though he has been nowhere near as effective as Javier has been this season. I mean, we're talking about an Oakland rotation right now that is trotting out Cole Irvin, who, you know, it's been sort of a nice-ish story, but Cole Irvin is not a better pitcher top to bottom than Jesus Luzardo. Frankie Montes, I don't see him getting pushed out of the rotation, but, you know, let's be honest about it. He really hasn't been very good and, frankly, hasn't been good since that suspension uh, through the 2019 season. James Caprellian, a nice enough pitcher, but, again, Luzardo has certainly a much higher ceiling, much more talent, and the team is far more invested in Jesus Luzardo's success than it is in James Caprellian's success like they can say all they want. Luzardo's going to be back in that rotation at some point this season. And I think this is another guy who maybe we can buy at a real low right now. Yeah. Now I'm a hundred percent on board with this move because for really for all the exact reasons, Michael, that you just mentioned, there's a much, much clearer path here. You've got pitchers in the rotation who are clearly uh, over the longer term going to be inferior to Luzardo in terms of what, what they're able to give, uh, give the A's. Uh, and th- I also just don't see the vulnerabilities with Luzardo that you potentially, uh, do see with Christian Javier. Uh, like I don't worry about the long ball with him. Uh, some of that is his profile. Some of that is the ballpark. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. Cole Irvin, James Caprillion, who knows how long, uh, they're going to be in that rotation. And, uh, if we see more long relief outings, like the one that we just saw, uh, from Luzardo, it's going to be hard for the A's to keep him in that role for very long. 
what do you make of the struggles this season? Because the the peripheral numbers don't totally support that he should be putting up the surface cosmetic numbers that he has put up to this point. Yeah, well, I, I think that's, you know, that's exactly it. Um, but, you know, this is somebody that, you know, we've seen before who has ace-like potential and uh, can miss bats. You know, maybe not on the level that we've seen from Javier, for example, so mm-hmm, far this mm-hmm. season. But I think at some point you're going to see all of that line up for uh, for Luzardo, that you're, you're going to see uh, the kinds of peripherals that you expected from him coming into the season, and, and you're going to see results that match those. So if I'm remembering correctly, back to March, Luzardo was, what, about SP30 or so in ADP? Yeah. He was right right in there, right? It might have been might have been a couple higher, a couple lower, but effectively like SP30. Are you willing to pay an SP30 price to get him right now? I'd say no, because while I did point back to the expectations we had at that point when we were drafting and point back to the track record for Luzardo, uh, yeah, the, the, the time has moved on and you've got... A situation now where, you know, Oakland, they've, they've had Cole Irvin in that rotation. They've given James Caprillion a chance. And for the mm-hmm. most part, he's taken advantage of it. So it's uh, I think over time it's going to happen. But there is that uncertainty about how much time is it going to take for Luzardo to reclaim a rotation spot? And how is this bullpen experiment going to go over the long term? So, I you know, I think there are a lot of reasons that should point us in the direction of expecting that Luzardo is going to be back and probably sooner than later. But yeah, it's not as clear as it was back in March. He's it's got to be Irvin, right? I mean, they're not sure. like Bassett's pitching pretty well. Nice ballpark for him, right? Uh, we had um, on rates and barrels. Uh, we had Paul Sporer filling in for Derek uh, uh, yesterday's show. God, I'm losing my track of the days. Uh, and <laughs> you know, he, he and Eno were making the point that like Chris Bassett at uh, if he's still on the White Sox could look a whole lot different than Chris Bassett getting to pitch his home games. In Oakland. So he's taking advantage of that. He's pitching well. Sean Manaya also pitching pretty well. Those guys aren't going anywhere. I really don't think Frankie Montes, I think he'd really have to blow up to get pushed out of the rotation, even though, frankly, you can make an argument he's been their worst starter this season. I think they're married to Caprellian in the rotation, too. Like, it's got to be Cole Irvin. And I just feel like that shoe has to drop. No offense to Cole Irvin, but that shoe's got to drop. And, like, if they're going to stick with Houston, like they're, let's be honest, they're Frank, they're lucky to be going into play on Thursday, half a game ahead of Houston. Houston's got a plus 62 run differential. Oakland's got a plus one run differential. I mean, every single mark across the board, especially offensively, Houston is better. Houston's rotation is getting healthy. Like if they're really going to stick with Houston, they can't have a guy like Jesus Luzardo throwing, you know, three innings every fourth day. That just, that just can't be how it is for them. Right. I mean, it's one thing if you've got, you know, if you're the Astros and you've got a stacked rotation situation or the Padres at times this season. Uh But yeah, no, this is the Oakland Athletics and they just don't have that kind of depth. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. Irvin, you know, if if you had to wager on this, yeah, Irvin would seem to be the clear favorite to drop out first. But you never know. I mean, if he reverts and has a string of starts like he had to begin the season uh, and Caprillion has another start or two like the one that he just had. You never know. I, I don't think Irvin is the is the only candidate to drop out of that rotation, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's definitely the most likely. And you know, you've brought up a few times now that Montas is not really pitching that great, and yeah. I, you know, you have to wonder how long the days will you know put up with that. So I, there's there's going to be room, and yeah, it's probably going to be Irvin that makes room. But if it's not that path, it will be another. You know, I'm sort of taking us off the point here a little bit, but 
I guess if you were if you're the A's and the A's have had the A's have had a pretty nice uh, performance from their bullpen this season. That's one thing that has been pretty legitimate for them in keeping them with the Astros. If you're the A's, like you could probably make a more useful reliever out of Frankie Montes than you could out of Cole Irvin. Absolutely. And so maybe that's a path to Irvin staying in the rotation. Neither neither of this has anything to do with Luzardo getting back in the rotation. All we want is one of those guys out and Luzardo in. But I think there could be an argument for Montes if he's going to be an ineffective starter. You might as well make him like a super effective two inning per a timeout reliever. I think that would make a whole lot of sense. And again, they don't necessarily have the depth to to go that route. But mm-hmm. if they make a trade or whatever. Um, you know, some something emerges for them. I could definitely see that happening. All right, a team that does have the depth to go any sort of route it wants, basically, in the rotation is the San Diego Padres. It's been a weird season for Denelson Lamette. He was uh, injured to start the season, came off the IL, threw two innings in that first start, went immediately back to the IL, then came off the IL, has been sort of yo-yoed in between the bullpen and the rotation since then. I don't think he's thrown more than four innings at a time at any point so far this season, but he's looked pretty darn good most of the times that he's gone out there. Even when he was between IL stints, that one outing he made, he looked pretty good, and he was missing back, something we always know Denelson Lamette was going to do. Right now, the Padres seem to uh, be committed, at least in the short term, to having a six-man rotation, getting Ryan Weathers starts, you know, getting Chris Paddock starts. Obviously, the other guys aren't going anywhere. And Denelson Lamette, his last time out just uh, yesterday against the Cubs, was a start, looked very good through four innings in that start against the Cubs, struck out six batters in that outing. I think Lamette's got to stay in the rotation, but it still feels like because of the volume, because of the uncertainty, uh, it, that this could be a very good time to go out and make a play for Denelson Lamette. Well, I agree with that. And look, I wasn't somebody who drafted him anywhere to start the season, but I certainly didn't fault anybody who did, given how far he had fallen, given the, mm-hmm. the health concerns for him. So we're kind of just, we've, we're, we're full circle right back where we started, where you could see him staying in the rotation rest of season, building up those innings, uh, staying later into games. Uh, but then you you just have that constant worry about, yeah. you know, is is he going to go on the IL is he maybe going to have to have Tommy John surgery and that's always going to be hanging there but this is no longer a, you know a draft day situation where it's you know Lamette versus who else you could take in a given round right. this is just you know Lamette versus the last person on your roster which is a whole different calculation so I think it's you know I I would certainly rather make that move with Lamette than I would with Christian Javier, because as long as he's healthy, he's going to be in the rotation. And as long as he's in the, in the rotation, I think he's going to be fine. And as you pointed out, the biggest, the, the biggest concern, at least short term is the innings, but I'm willing to wait it out and see if, you know, they can get him to five, six innings to start. Yeah. I, w- I was talking earlier with Fabian Arday, our Dodgers beat writer about uh, Julio Urias and how he, you know, is, Pitching like not super deep into games. He's topped out at 95 pitches so far this season. He's gone more than 90 a handful of times. He's making the most of those you know, 85 to 95 pitches that Dave Roberts is going to allot him per start. And I wonder if Denelson Lamette could be a similar sort of guy where you're only going to get five. You're pro- almost certainly not getting more than six innings. But in those six innings, he could give you 10 strikeouts. And with the Padres offense and bullpen, he doesn't need to you know, pitch eight innings to put himself in a good spot for a win. He can trust the offense to score five, six runs while he's still in the game, trust the bullpen to hold it. 
and then he still has that same sort of win upside that someone like, say, Jacob deGrom needs eight, nine innings to pitch to get that sort of win upside. Yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, Lamech could get more runs in four innings than uh, DeGrom will get in eight. But uh, <laughs> And DeGrom will get in 40. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'd be nice to see Lamette with some regularity get get to five innings and put himself in contention for a win. But uh, there, there's value there, you know, I think pretty much no matter what, as long as he stays healthy. Because like you said, the, the strikeouts are there. The ratios will be there. Uh, it's just a question of will he go deep enough to get wins. Probably not quality starts, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm willing to wait it out. These are all guys, uh, Javier, Lamette, Luzardo. These are all guys who I would be thinking about acquiring really in any sort of scenario. But certainly if I am one of the people in my league who has been hard up for pitching, if I do need some help in the pitching departments, I could see myself making a trade for these guys and maybe even paying a tiny bit more for them than it seems like they should be receiving in a trade. That means because I am you know, in a tough spot with pitching. One guy who you don't necessarily need to do that with, and in fact, we've got not enough time to talk about two guys here who you probably don't need to do that with. The first one is Eliezer Hernandez, and he's going to make his return from the IL tonight against Pittsburgh. I'm willing to bet Al. I don't care if he's limited to 75 pitches or whatever it might be. He's going to look good in those 75 pitches against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think now is the time. Now is the time if you're in a daily league to get Eliezer Hernandez. Pick him up before this start if you can, because I think he's going to look great. If you're sitting there in a weekly league and he's available and you have to wait till Sunday to make a uh, fab bid for him, I think you're going to want to do it. This was someone who was you know, pretty highly sought after in drafts back in March, uh, has just been injured all season. But you know, let's remember that great 2020 season that he put together. I know it was only 25 and two-thirds innings, but he looked like someone who could really be a, you know, number two for the Marlins, at worst a number three for the Marlins. You go back to the 2019 season when he threw 82 innings for the team, struck out more than a batter per inning. The ERA wasn't great, but the stuff was there. But there's a lot of reason to like Eliezer Hernandez coming back from the IL tonight. Oh, there really is. And he's got uh, potentially a two-start week coming up that I I really like because he's going to get the Rockies uh, on a Tuesday uh, and they'll, they'll just be a couple days removed from making that transition from Coors Field to the Marlins Stadium. <laughs> and that is just that's just a sweet spot for uh, any pitcher to get. And then with yes. somebody with Hernandez's strikeout upside, that's that's going to be fun. Now he gets the Braves later in the week. Uh, so that's one of those two steps where it's like you hope they really compile enough uh, uh, points or whatever your, your format is, you know, uh, compile enough in the categories to um, to withstand maybe a little bit of damage in that second start. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, there's all kinds of good reasons to pick up LA's or Hernandez right now. And there's no question about his place in that Marlins rotation either. So um, short term, long term, I, I really like the outlook. And I also agree with you that uh, while it's a little tricky sometimes to stream somebody right off the IL, that that's an extremely soft landing spot. And I'd feel, feel plenty comfortable starting him uh, for that Pirates game. You know, you could make an argument, and I think I actually am sort of making the argument that if you consider both where these guys are right now and the acquisition cost, that Hernandez is the best one to have out of these four. All these other guys, you know, Javier, bullpen, Luzardo, bullpen, we are almost certain they're going to get back into the rotation, but we might be wrong, and we don't know when. Denelson Lamette in the rotation for now. It's a six-man rotation. They can push him back to the bullpen if they want. So there's a little bit of uncertainty there, and that stops us short of the injury concerns that we're probably always going to have for Denelson Lamette. Also, you have to trade for those guys. Those guys are on rosters. Maybe Christian Javier has been dropped. Jesus Luzardo, I don't think so. Denelson Lamette, 
maybe he's been dropped a little bit, but in most leagues, you're going to see those guys on rosters. Eliezer Hernandez, there's plenty of leagues where you can just go scoop him and pick him up. So I think when you can put that all into one package, maybe Hernandez is the best one of these four that we've talked about so far to go for. Oh, I agree. It's, yeah, there's the least complications there uh, for all the reasons that you just cited. So uh, there's really no reason, I think, not to get him if he is out there in your league. All right, now let's get to one more guy here. And this guy is going to have that exact same soft landing spot off the IL that Hernandez is getting tonight. Next week, Tony Gonsolin will be coming off the IL and make his first start against the Pittsburgh Pirates. How about that? Another guy we talked about with Fabian Ardaya a little bit earlier. This obviously assumes he's going to make one more rehab start. This assumes that all goes well in that rehab start. If it does, he's on track to start against the Pirates next week. And with Dustin May injured, you know, Jimmy Nelson, David Price, they would be the only other options to step into the rotation and they would have to get stretched out. I don't see that happening. I think we're talking about Tony Gonsolin as someone who is locked into this Dodgers rotation so long as he's healthy. Yeah, uh, it really does look like it's it's going to be his job to lose. And he's not only going to, uh, again, assuming that he gets through this rehab start, okay, that, that that would line him up against the Pirates. By the way, that's also next Tuesday, the same day that Hernandez is going to make uh, his first start of the week. So then Gonsolin will be on that same schedule of getting a weekend start. It'll be at Pitts- Pittsburgh and then at home against the Rangers. That's pretty nice. And I have to say, I have a little bit more, yeah, I have a little bit more worried about a worry about Gonsolin and how deep he's going to go against the Pirates. Mm -hmm. But with that second start, if you're in a weekly league and you're doubling up those innings, um, can't really pass on him either if he's uh, available to, to pick up for next week. Very easy to see the Dodgers go piggyback situation in that first start for yeah. Gonsolin, where we where we see David Price pick right up after him or Jimmy Nelson pick right up, uh, you know, somewhere in the third or fourth inning, and they don't stretch Gonsolin out too much, especially since you know it'll probably be like six nothing in the third inning of that game, so I wouldn't necessarily need to push Gonsolin even if they wanted to. All five of these guys, you know, what I love about these five guys here, Al, is they all feel gettable. Every single one of them feels gettable. It's all well and good to say. You know, go go buy uh, Brandon Woodruff at whatever the price might be. But, like, no one's trading Brandon Woodruff. These guys all feel gettable, and all five of them can make big impacts. Any one of these five guys, if I if you, if you fast-forwarded to the end of the season and told me from the moment that we talked about these guys on this episode through the end of the season, Denelson Lamette was a top-30 starting pitcher. Eliezer Hernandez was a top-30 starting pitcher. Christian Javier was a top-30 starting pitcher. I would believe it. It's not going to happen for all five of them, but they all have that ceiling. You can get a real impact guy right now at a totally reasonable price. That's what I love about these guys. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, I don't think normally the the situation that you're facing in early June. So uh, there's been a lot of great pitching and hard to believe that there's more really, really good pitching that's, that's out there. So, uh, you know, if, if you do happen to have uh, a need in that, uh, that area, this is a good time. Love to find those rotation reinforcements at this stage of the season, even in what is shaping up to be the year of the pitcher. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Al Melchior killing it on a Thursday in place of (laughs) Derek Van Riper. Al and I will be with you once again on Sunday for our waivers and fab episode. Until then, for Fabian Ardaya, for Grant Brisby, and for my man Al Melchior, I'm Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if you're on YouTube. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Have a great weekend. Thank you.